0: So Matthew 5, starting in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, that is Jesus, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, we have been talking about discipleship and kind of the way that we are um, working to approach discipleship here. So first week of this this is kind of week three. First week we talked about the goal. What what is discipleship? And really it's to follow Christ as his disciple. We recognize that, i to get this out of the way, okay, we're going to get most of it out of the way move it in sections here, um, we recognize that to follow Christ really means that we have to kind of change the way that we live, and it's, when we do that, when we walk after Christ, it's important for us to know where we're going, right? And so, um, I don't know if you think about your life as a journey, um, apparently, if you if you Jump online, everybody's on a journey. Um, we're all on a, on a fitness journey or a nutrition journey or a financial journey or a career journey. I don't know. It's like this is kind of the metaphor for us. Um, and so, thanks, <coughs> Emmaus. Uh, it's good to know kind of where this, where this journey is going and what the goal is, right? Where we're headed. And in discipleship, our journey, our, our sort of goal, is a life freed and empowered to joyfully love God, right? There's no longer any brakes that are put on you, right? Oftentimes when we start our journey with Christ, it's like we're driving with the emergency brake on, and you can't figure out why you can't quite get the traction that you need to get, and why this thing is still so hard, and it looks like everybody else is is doing this thing pretty easily, but all of a sudden it's hard for you, and so we're sort of on this kind of way. So we talked about that goal that first week. The second week, we talked about the vision. What does it look like day to day to actually live this work of discipleship? And the thing we came to is that the disciples' true home is the household of God. And this is something we miss in our culture sometimes. We really believe and really say sometimes and and act like we can have a relationship with Jesus apart from the rest of Jesus' family. And the thing is, when when I'm married into my wife's, when I married my wife, I actually like, kind of married her whole family in that way. right? I was all of a sudden in text groups that I did not necessarily sign up for. Um, I got all kinds of opinions I didn't necessarily ask for. Um, there's, most of them are good, right? <laughs> and I'm deeply grateful for her family, but the fact is we kind of connect. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, out, get out of trouble. Terry already is laughing at me. He sees what's going on up here. <laughs> But uh, we, we, when we connect to somebody, we connect to kind of their whole world. And so when we connect to Jesus, we would love to just connect to Jesus, but instead we get all these weirdos who go along with it, right? And the true home of the disciple is the household of God. It is the church. So what Paul calls the church in the New Testament, the household of God. And, and I'm, I'm glad for that because it means that not only do I get this church and every church in some way, but also, y'all get me, right? So not only do I belong to a people, but other people belong to me, and we have this kind of connection that exists in Christ. This third step that we're going to do is sort of look at very specifically, like if we get down to the nitty-gritty, how do we do this and understand this on a kind of um, step-by-step level? So if we're going from like goal, right, to what do we do day-to-day, now we're talking about what are we doing for the next hour? <laughs> Not that the sermon's going to be an hour. But, uh, you know, when you're thinking about how you work through a journey. And the thing we're going to talk about is virtues. Virtues. Okay, so, um, have you ever had a project, I'm wondering, that you couldn't quite crack until you broke it down to its individual pieces? You know what I'm talking about? Tom's nodding. <laughs> okay. I had a, uh, a guy I used to work for. He was a part of our church when I was in high school. He would hire high schoolers to come, you know, mostly cut ivy and arrange stuff. He was like a chronic, I don't know if he was a hoarder, but he was really close to a hoarder. He was a very organized hoarder, okay? So uh, (laughs) he would go to garage sales and he would just buy things because he liked to fix stuff. So at some point he had, he told me he had like 78 flashlights uh, that he would just buy broken so that he could sit out in his shed out back and fix them because that was just like a good way to spend a Saturday if you were Kurt, right? And so Kurt would have me come over and he had me do all kinds of weird things. I'd I'd cut ivy the first time I ever worked at his house. He says, okay, I want you to go. I've never done this before, but I want you to go up on the roof and uh, here's a long handled like roller paintbrush, right? And um, instead of, you know, painting a tall wall, I, I want you to just paint the whole roof with it like you're sweeping it. So I'm up there with some paint that he found somewhere and I'm painting over this thing trying to seal it up. And of course, you know, I fall through the roof at some point and he comes and helps me get out and that was just working with Kurt. You were going to do kind of crazy things that weren't necessarily um, well advised, but they were Kurt's idea, right? And then he would pay you through lunch and tell you all kinds of crazy stories and and do fun things. He was was a fun guy. But when he was um, raising his kids, he said, okay, kids, I'm going to buy you a car, but here's the deal. You have to build it. So so he would buy him a VW Bug, and he would take it out back, and they would disassemble it. And when they had reassembled the car, they were allowed to drive it. right? And so all of his kids, by the time that they could drive, knew how to put together a car (laughs) from top to bottom. right? They could reassemble a transmission and kind of do the whole thing. And this, as we kind of talk about the virtues, the idea here is to kind of disassemble the Christian life Right, so that we can put it back together and drive the thing. And we know that one of these things, everything's gotta be connected, right? (laughs) Like the wheels gotta be connected to the axles. If they're not connected, the car's not going anywhere, right? Stuff has to be locked in together. You need all of the necessary parts in order to make these things function. But to understand it, sometimes it's helpful to take it apart and look at one thing at a time, right? And so, This is, I want to try to take a moment to do that, to try to pull this apart. Sometimes, we were talking about it in Sunday school today, you know, sometimes we have a tendency in our life, and as Christians, to look at our our vices, right, to look at kind of the negative, the stuff we do wrong, the ways we keep failing, right? We were wrapping up Revelation, and, and the question was sort of, you know, people who read Revelation in a really intense way for the moment, for today. And it's like, yeah, sometimes we get so locked into the negative, rather than fixing our eyes on Christ, who is the thing that's being revealed. He's he is he's the point of the revelation, right? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, rather than having our eyes sort of fixed on our vices, on our defects of character and the ways that we mess up, I'd love for us to kind of fix our eyes um, on the good. Right? Scripture, we read several of them today. Scripture kind of gives us these lists. And so uh, there's one I'll sort of read to you here out of Colossians. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae in chapter 3. And uh, oops, it's after Philippians. And he kind of gives a double list here in, in, in Colossians 3. Right, So he starts out kind of giving him a list of bad stuff. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways that you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Right? And so often we're good at stripping ourselves down. (laughs) Right? We're good at saying, boy, I'm angry and malicious and vulgar and I got all kinds of things that need to come out. Problem is, I don't know what to put on. Right? And so Paul goes right into that in the next verse. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion in kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other, right. just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Right? So he just he's kind of going on, right? It's love, it's gratitude, it's it's uh, peace. It's all of these sorts of things. This is what you're going to put on after you've taken off all of the other ways, all those other vices. So, what is a virtue? Any thoughts? What's that? It's a good character, right? Yeah, and we kind of talk about. We like to talk about it in terms of, you know, sometimes you have to practice something. You put something into practice. And at that point, it's still awkward, right? I'm watching a lot of seven-year-olds try to kick a soccer ball, and I tell you, it's awkward, right? It's, It's still a practice. It's still a thing that they're working on, but it's not in their body, right? It's not in how they naturally do it just yet. Over time, if they practice enough, that's going to become a habit. It's going to be something that they do kind of automatically, Right, and and once you get that habit into you, then it's kind of tough to break the habit. But even a habit is not really where we want things to be. If you take a good practice and you make it a habit, you're still at this point where you're trying to deepen that habit into your very character, into kind of the the, the deep bedrock of who you are, and that's what a virtue is. A virtue is when a good practice and a good habit has become who you are, such that it's something not only that you do automatically, but it's something almost that you would not even imagine not doing, right? It's so deeply ingrained in you, and a lot of us have these kind of natural differences. We have different strengths and struggles, right? Some of us are quiet. Some of us are loud. Some of us are kind of passive. Some are active, and all of that is good as long as it's submitted to the virtues of Christ. So I like to think of virtue sometimes as those parts of our character. I, I don't know if you heard it in the songs today, but several of the songs kind of get to that moment of like, hey, what's it going to be like at death? <laughs> right? Even that first song, 10,000 Reasons, when that time comes, when my time has come, I'm going to continue to praise God. Right? Sometimes I like to think of virtues as these parts of our character that we will not be embarrassed of when we stand before the Father. The parts of who we are that we're going to say, all right, Lord, here I am. (laughs) And maybe you're somebody who goes, I got a lot to be embarrassed of, and I do too. (laughs) But we continue to lean into the work. right? We continue to lean into the work of becoming like Christ. They are these things that God will perfect and make eternal in us in the last day. We talk in our mission statement at at Cordova Church of the Nazarene, we talk about excellence here. And when we say excellence, we don't mean perfectionism, right? We don't mean that we do everything without a mistake. What we mean is that we do everything with an eye toward the eternal. We want to be the kind of church. We want to be the kind of people who, whether it's taking out the trash or mowing the lawn, preaching sermons, or leading music, or preparing communion, or caring for one another, or calling or checking in or leading Bible studies, we do it with a sense not of, I have to be here, I have to do this, but with a sense of, this is forming something in me, and my heart and my desire is to be able to present this to God on the last day and say, look, it wasn't exactly perfect in the sense of not having any mistakes, right? But we did it with excellence. We did it with all that we had. And so, it's helpful. Again, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of different virtues, right? But, let's break it down to seven, all right? And I didn't come up with these. I didn't invent these, thankfully. Um, But if I invented them, you'd be like, yeah, we need to maybe read another book or two here. (laughs) Figure this out, right? But we're going to have seven virtues, and they're going to be in two groups. So, so the first group, if we think of that great commandment that God gives us, right, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. And these virtues mainly are going to kind of go in those two directions. So let's start with loving our neighbor as ourself here. The first virtue, uh, Aristotle, the philosopher, he called this kind of the charioteer of the virtues. And it's what Andre read about uh, from Proverbs chapter 8, which is prudence or wisdom. And he called it the charioteer the kind of little guy that's up there holding the reins and guiding, guiding the uh, horses, right? Because it's the, prudence or wisdom is our ability to govern and discipline ourselves with our reason, okay? To sort of think through, okay, I'm with wisdom and prudence. I'm going to think about what ought to be done, and then I'm going to do it, <laughs> right? I'm going to discern, and then I'm going to take action, and so wisdom is this ability to take a lot of different information that doesn't necessarily make sense and, and to put it together in a way that does make sense. Some of us are sort of naturally there. We're good at that kind of thing. We're good at sort of governing or figuring out how we ought to solve a problem or come at an issue. Right? And some of us are not quite there. Some of us struggle with that. How do we deal with conflicting information? It locks us up or it binds us up. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means we have a virtue to grow in. Right? It just means we have a place to become more like Christ. And so we talk about this in the book of Proverbs all the time. Right? This is what wisdom is. We talk about it in the book of James in the New Testament, a wise way to live a Christian life. This is reason which is formed by faith and love and then put into action. That's what wisdom is, what prudence is. Same, two words for the same thing, but let's use the word wisdom. All right? Second virtue talk about today, is kind of temperance or patience. I like the word temperance. Um, And it's not just because we're in the Church of the Nazarene and and we got feelings about alcohol, right? Uh, (laughs) I'll tell you why actually I like the word temperance. Um, But patience or temperance is this moderation in our action and our thought and our feeling. right? Rather than just being people who always are out full bore, we got the brakes off, we're just flying down the road, temperance says, wait. (laughs) Hold on. Let's Just take a moment to be a little bit moderate about it, right? To be a little bit moderate about our thought and our feeling. Instead of just going way off on this side or way off on that side, we're going to try to find that middle way. It's self-restrained. It's it's a kind of persevering way of living life. And that's why I like the idea of temperance, because it always makes me think of tempered steel, right? And here's the thing about Tempered steel, you guys know this, right? Like you got iron ore that you dig up out of the ground and then you got to take that ore and, and put it under a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. And over time you put it under heat and pressure, it becomes steel, which is really hard, right? And it's actually better than iron. It's, it's somehow harder and lighter than iron. But then you can take that steel and you can put it under more heat and more pressure and it becomes tempered steel, which is lighter and, and stronger and more flexible. And so here's kind of the thing. You go through stuff in your life, heat and pressure, right? And if we respond to it well, if we respond to it with grace, it doesn't make us bitter and crusty and angry. It actually makes us lighter and more flexible and stronger. It makes us able to face more difficult things, but in a way where we go, okay, I don't have to be reactive, right? Patience doesn't mean I never act. It doesn't mean I let people walk over me. But what it does mean is I'm going to act in the right moment in the right way. I'm going to be tempered. I'm going to be light and flexible and able to bear a big load and make it look and feel like nothing. That's patience. That's temperance. And so you can see kind of the balance. It's, It's interesting. Wisdom and patience themselves, or wisdom and temperance, they're both kind of the, the slow virtues, right? They're the virtues that, that hold back. They're kind of that moderation, that weight, that, almost that break kind of virtue, where we're not taking rash action. But then you move to the other two, and, and the other two here in this little square that we imagine are, one, fortitude or courage, and fortitude and courage is the strength of mind and character that lets a person encounter danger and to bear pain. Right? So with courage, we can not only stand up under pressure like the, like the temperate, temperate person, right? but we can actually walk into danger. This obviously is kind of the virtue of the soldier, to be able to step into a place that we know is going to be dangerous to us, that we know is going to cause us pain or difficulty. And to do it anyway. As we're going through these, you might even be thinking, where am I on this scale? If I had to rate myself in terms of wisdom or temperance or courage, where would I be? But courage allows us to take action. It's actually what allows us to step forward. If we were all wisdom and temperance, we would never act. Right? If we were all just sort of standing back and weighing things, we would never do anything. But courage allows us to step out on that edge and say, Lord, where are you leading me? The last of this first group of four, I think of the square, (laughs) right, is justice. And justice is, it's become one of my favorites because it helps me see different people in a different light. (laughs) Uh, But justice often is this virtue of saying it's the maintenance or the administration of what is just, especially between competing claims. Right, so a just person has a real strong sense of what is right and what is wrong. And I used to think about a lot, some people, certain people, as judgmental. I'd look at them and go, man, they have, they're just like immediately jumping to what is right and what is wrong. And then if somebody doesn't agree with them, they're right at their throat. And what I've come to believe and see in those people is no, they just have a really strong sense of justice. And maybe they could use a little more temperance or wisdom, but they just have a really strong sense of what is right and wrong. And when somebody offends that, when somebody crosses that line, they're on it, right? They want to put the world right as they see it and understand it. So these four virtues, wisdom, and temperance, and courage, and justice, help us look at and see the world around us, right? Right? in a way that we not only understand it well, but then we act in that world. We call those the cardinal virtues. Think of the cardinal points on a compass. North, south, east, and west, wisdom, temperance, courage, and justice. When I talk to my kids about this, I use the language, be brave, patient, curious, and kind. Right? For kids to be just usually just means to be kind. There is a time you've got to stand up against, against wickedness, um, but, but kindness works most of the time. And you notice the kind of interplay here, right? Like the parts of the car that come apart. If you're really going to be just, you kind of need to have some wisdom and not just be stepping in and hitting people in the nose because they seem to have done something wrong. If you're really going to be courageous, you need to be sort of temperate with that courage and not just walk out into the street because, hey, what do I care? And at the same time, if you're going to be wise and temperate, you need to actually take action sometimes. And so all of these virtues sort of work with one another. But really, none of these require God. To love our neighbor in this way, a lot of people have worked on doing this without God. And so the Christian vision goes deeper and further higher. And we have these three other virtues that are mentioned at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, and now these three abide. I love that translation. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And while the first four we call the cardinal virtues, these three we call the theological virtues. They fix our minds, they fix our hearts on God. Faith is our capacity to be certain of the love of God, which we may or may not have actually seen in our lives. Right? And sometimes, sometimes we have a lot of reason to disbelieve the love of God. Sometimes we've suffered quite a bit. Sometimes we've been hurt, and we may even blame God for the ways that we've been hurt. Yet in the midst of that, we see people who have great faith. It's like Jesus said to his Apostle Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Right? This is the gift. This is the virtue of faith. Many of us might think, boy, I sure wish I had faith. (laughs) I sure wish I could believe in things that I hadn't seen. I sure wish I could walk with God when it was difficult. And I think part of what we have to do is actually think about these all of these virtues, but well, let's pick on faith. We've got to think about these things not merely as uh, something that we have, but as something that we grow. Right? It's almost like they're a muscle that you exercise. And if you have that muscle, it's either getting weaker or it's getting stronger. Right? You're either using it and it's growing. Or you're not. And it dwindles. And so part of what we do is we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, where do you want me to use this faith muscle? Does this mean actually listening for that voice and just saying, whatever it is, I'm going to do it? Right? Does this mean stopping to respond to somebody who seems like they're in need? Or making the commitment that, hey, I'm going to show up with a casserole and a card. I'm going to make the phone call. I'm going to do that small thing that enables me to step out. And maybe it's going to take a little courage. (laughs) Maybe it's going to take a little wisdom. Maybe it's going to take a little understanding of where God would have me go. But I'm going to step out. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to have faith. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that there's hope, faith and hope. Hope is the ability for us to have a mind and heart firmly set on what is to come. The hopeful person is somebody whose head and eyes are not always hanging down and in the dirt. They're not fixed on their toes. The hopeful person's eyes are up looking at where they're going. Seeing, okay, where is it that the Lord is taking me? Hopeful eyes are fixed not merely on what's in front of us, but where God is leading us. And in some ways, when we've really developed this virtue of hope, we can see what is to come even more clearly than we can see what's right around us. The hopeful person, without missing, the sort of everyday environment that's around us, sees and knows that the Lord is not only saving us and has saved us in Christ, but is bringing us into the fellowship of His Son. He's bringing us into this life in Christ. He's pulling us forward. And so rather than living in the discouragement of, this is really hard, which, you know what? You know, a lot of days it is really hard but we can live in the midst of that hardness knowing that the life that God is continuing to build and that he has promised to redeem is out there, that it's in front of us, and that in the resurrection, not only is that life out there, but it is breaking into the present. God, in his mercy and in his goodness, is seeking to speak his life to us and we can live with a fervent desire and a confident expectation of that life coming our way. How are we doing? <laughs> How are you scoring mentally on this? <laughs> right? Wisdom, temperance, justice, courage, faith, and hope. But these two theological virtues of faith and hope. They create an attitude and a personality which can then be just and courageous and patient and wise. Do you see that? When I know where God, where God is leading me, when I have my faith and my hope fixed on what is good, now I can be courageous and walk out into the right kind of difficulty and challenge and danger because I know that God has me, right? Right? Now I can can step out into some difficult things. Because I know that God is the one who is renewing this world and it doesn't all depend on me and my efforts. I can live with wisdom. Because I know that it's not just about me coming up with the right answer. It's about patiently listening to the words and the word of God. Can fix myself on the eternal without ignoring what's right in front of me because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ where the eternal and the temporal have come together in one. But Paul tells us these three remain faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And the reason for that is that there will be a day when we no longer have to have faith and we no longer have to have hope because we're not going to be looking out to what is to come we talked about this in 1 Thessalonians with the coming of the second coming of Christ <coughs> excuse me <coughs> there we go all right we no longer have to look out to what is to come right but it's going to be here and we will be in that place with God we'll be living with him among him With him all around us, Revelation tells us there will be no sun or moon because the light will be there in the new Jerusalem with us. It's a little hard to figure out when you're teaching kids about how the solar system works. But I have enough faith and hope to believe that God is going to make that real. There will be a day when I no longer have to look forward. But in that moment, I'll still have to grow in love. Love, which is longing after the best for its object. Love, which is unity with the God who is love, Father, Son, and Spirit. As I was thinking about this, it's, I think it may be that every virtue really blossoms ultimately into love. That justice is about love and courage is ultimately about being able to take that big step into love, that wisdom is about being able to discern what really is loving. (laughs) The temperance is about being the kind of person and being hardened in some way, being uh, softened in other ways into the kind of person who can stand up in the fierce and immense and eternal love of God. Love is the virtue that binds everything together and holds it all together, and without love, we're nothing. Well, I don't know how you did on your own personal quiz. <laughs> I've got work to do on a few of these virtues. All right? But that's not surprising, that just means I have Places to grow. And yet that's what Christian maturity is. Christian maturity is growing up in these seven virtues and not getting lost in the process, but maintaining our focus on Christ. Maintaining our focus on the fact that Christ is the goal and Christ is the way. As we grow in virtue, as we kind of take these things and we sift through, like, what are the things I'm struggling with in my life? Who are the people that I struggle to talk to? Right? Who are the people I... What are the conversations that I struggle to have? You know what I'm talking about? What's that phone call that's really hard for me to make but that I know that I need to make and it's been kind of weighing on my mind for months and months? What are the the things that keep coming back in my life, and why do they keep coming back in my life? Why do I keep wasting time or avoiding this or or stepping into this kind of vice that I really don't want to take part of? Why is my life kind of falling apart over here, but it looks great over here? You know, maybe i got terrible relationships, but I'm great with finances. What's going on there, right? We sort of take these things, and we can bundle them up, and we can sort of sit with them and look at them. Not in fear, right? But in trust that Jesus wants to lead us through. And so it's not my goal to over define here, but I want to give a little definition so that we can start to move toward that goal. So we can start to move toward that vision. These virtues here that we have, they're kind of like the, if we're living in the household of God, in the church, virtues are kind of the house rules. This is how you do things. In Christ's house, the expectations. But really, too, I I think there's something about evangelism in here. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and and we talk a lot about like getting rid of sin. <laughs> and this kind of idea of perfection that Christ is just gonna come in and He's gonna fix it all, and He's gonna put it all right. And I believe that that's true. But he doesn't do that without our participation in the process, (laughs) right? He doesn't do that without kind of co-laboring, co-struggling with us. We got to be involved in it. And sometimes I meet old Christians, not here of course, (laughs) where I go, boy, you really missed something, (laughs) You know, like, I, you know that you're saved, and that's great. But I'm not sure that you've ever learned to be kind. You know, you, you know the Bible, and that's wonderful. But I don't know that you learned how to apply it towards your neighbor outside of judgment. And a big part of my heart is that the older we get, the holier we will be rather than the other way around. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I've been around a few folks with dementia and Alzheimer's, as they get older in life. And they say that when you get diseases like that, oftentimes it just kind of takes the curtains off. It takes the, the, I don't know what the word is, kind of takes off the, what you've been hiding. <laughs> and I met some people with Alzheimer's and dementia who get mean right like they no longer have the energy to hide that they're just a mean person <laughs> and i've known others who it's like all it does just revealed the kindness it just revealed the tenderness and boy i hope that we as people as we grow in christ are just getting kinder and more and more tender rather than getting harder and harder underneath the surface they were getting softer and softer and more and more willing to hear and listen and know the love of Christ. I really believe that this is what keeps so many of us from moving forward. We know the scriptures, we study the Bible, we pray, we do the stuff we're supposed to do, but we don't know how to look at our own lives and see where there are gaps, and then take action on it. I also believe it's actually what keeps us from being effective in our evangelism and in our mission. Because if we go into the world and we tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ and how great it is to be a part of this community of people that is saved and loved and known and that cares for one another and that supports one another and they come into our fellowship and they don't see that, it's kind of tough to evangelize. (laughs) So we are called to this transformation not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our community, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our neighbors, that when they see our lives, they would see a people who have been known and shaped and changed. And these seven virtues are just seven places to start, to be led into that very life of Christ. They are also the very character and teaching of Christ, who is so funny because you know when you when you talk to people about Jesus, they've got all kinds of ideas, right? He's a good teacher, good ethicist, pity about the end uh, but uh <laughs> but the beginning was pretty good, and what we what we miss in all of that, is Jesus himself is so quick in righteousness and yet patient with unrighteous people. He's so focused on the truth and yet he's so willing to bear pain for doing what is good. And we're called into that same kind of life where we can see clearly and we can act boldly. My prayer here as we move into this week and as we come to this table is that we would be a people who see clearly and act boldly. And maybe the prayer I'd I'd encourage you to engage in this week is to say, Lord, let me take these seven entryways, these seven doors, these seven gates into my character and my life and I'm just going to spend some time praying through them. Where is there a place that you're speaking to me? Where do I need to grow? Maybe where do you want to encourage me? Let me pray for us. Lord God, it's so good to be a part of this church. And it's so good to know that you are a God who knows and loves this place and every person in it. God, I pray that as we seek you, we would seek out those places, Lord Jesus that there's maybe some gaps in our character. You would enable us, Lord God, to be a people who are well-rounded, to be a people who act on truth, to be a people who see things clearly, to be a people, Lord God, who have our hearts and our minds fixed not only on you but also on our neighbor and not only on our neighbors but also on you. In the midst of that, Lord God, help us to give ourselves fully to you to bring all of these parts that we have and just entrust, Lord God, that you are the one putting them back together. Thank you We praise you for the work that you're doing. In your name, amen.